1: that we have everything that we are, everything that we will be is because of you and your grace and your mercy. So may we hunger and thirst for you this morning that you may be glorified, you may be exalted, you may be lifted up. May our hearts be prepared to receive the message this morning. And as our hearts are prepared and our heads are are challenged with, with information, I pray most of all that we would have lives that experience a transformation, that when we leave this place, we would be changed because we've encountered the living God. We worship you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated this morning, children, if you're in fifth grade and you're below that. You may leave now to go to kids' own worship to work on vacation Bible school, which, by the way, is just a few weeks away when this building is teeming with hundreds of children that need to hear the gospel and be loved on, so we want to continue to pray for Vacation Bible School. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 26. We're fast-forwarding a bunch of chapters just for the special service this morning. No, I haven't skipped a large section of Acts. We'll get back to that when I get back from India. But today's message is titled, India or Bust? Because tonight, six of us will get on a plane... And we will spend many days in tribal villages with our missionary partners to share the gospel, to love on people, to encourage our missionaries, to repair wells, to do women's health awareness, to just do what God is calling us to do as we go into these tribal villages. And what our desire is, and what my prayer is, and I hope it's your prayer too is that God would take these people who are living in darkness and bring them into his marvelous light. As a matter of fact, the words of Jesus in John 8, 12, listen to what Jesus said. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And that's our prayer, that these people that we go to in India will see the light of, Of Jesus, and that we will shine that light brightly. And by now, hopefully, having been on this journey with me as your pastor, Emmanuel, for seven years, you know that theology matters, especially in how we do missions, how we do evangelism, how we go about seeing the health of a church, the strengthening of a church. It actually affects our attitudes and our actual. Practices. And so, what do we expect to see when we go to India? What should you as a congregation be praying for as we go into these villages? I want you to listen to the words of John MacArthur for just a moment. John MacArthur says this The Western church has subtly changed the thrust of the gospel. Instead of exhorting sinners to repent, Evangelicalism in our society asks the unsaved to quote, accept Christ. This makes the sinner sovereign and puts Christ at their disposal. In effect, it puts Christ on trial and hands the judge's robes and gavel to the sinner, precisely the opposite of what should be. Ironically, people who ought to be concerned about whether Christ will accept them are being told by Christians that it's the sinner's prerogative to quote, accept Christ. This modified gospel depicts conversion as a decision for Christ rather than a life-transforming change of heart involving genuine faith, repentance, surrender, and rebirth unto newness of life. Whether we're going into a village in India, or whether you're going to your friend here in northeastern Colorado at a coffee shop, or in your backyard, or wherever you go, the gospel is the same, and the response is, to the gospel is the same. What is the response to the gospel? It's nothing less than repentance and faith in Christ that leads to a genuine transformation. A genuine transformation. So, as we go to India, what's our goal? What's our goal? We want to be humbly used by God to simply present the gospel and see God do that work of transformation, that life-changing work. That only the gospel brings. Because you see, the Great Commission says what? Go into all the world and get people to walk an aisle, right? Go into all the world and get people to say a prayer or to raise a hand or to make a quick decision. What does the, what does the Great Commission say? Go into all the world and what? Make disciples, What is a disciple? A disciple is one who has taken Christ as their Savior and Lord. Their heart's been transformed. They've been reborn. They've experienced the depth of conversion. Their life is radically changed. It's the miracle of new birth because, you see, when we go into these villages, these people are worshiping false gods. Millions of Hindu gods they're worshiping in addition to the fact that they are animists. Now, what is an animist's? not a person that worships an animal it's a person that worships an ancestor if you remember last week when pastor money talked about that and by the way thank you for allowing pastor money to come i know it was somewhat hard to hear him because he was from india and he he spoke english but it didn't sound quite like english and i know some of you had to struggle to, to hear him but it was it was great to have him explain the issue of hinduism and animism it's the worship of your ancestors and for example if if you um treated your uncle bad in life and he died you would be worried that he may come back and haunt you and do something bad to you. So you're always living in fear that maybe your dead relative is going to haunt you. In addition to trying to please all these millions of Hindu gods, they're living in darkness and nothing less than the, the true gospel is going to open their hearts. And so it affects how we do missions. So here's the question for this morning. What is conversion? What does it really mean for a sinner to trust Christ for salvation, to have their heart open, what does it really mean for someone to embrace Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? If we go to Acts chapter 26, we find Paul's testimony. He's before um, King Agrippa. And he's giving his testimony, he's giving a defense, he's he's talking about his salvation experience, you remember from many months ago on the road to Damascus, he's talking about how Jesus blinded him, and and then he gives his testimony of what he's been called to do as a missionary to the Gentiles. And so we're going to get to this in a few months, but I thought it was appropriate this morning as as we prepare to go to India, as you as a church family pray for us to go to India, what is it that conversion truly is? So let's pick up Acts chapter 26, verse 12. In this connection, this is Paul speaking. I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me, and those who had journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Verse 18 is the key where we're going to hang out this morning. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me." The risen Christ appears to Paul and says, I've got a task for you, Paul. I'm setting you apart as an apostle to the Gentiles to go do something in this ministry. And so what does the risen Christ and all of his authority charge Paul with doing? Well, we see three things here. Here's the first thing that the risen Christ charges Paul to do. He says, Paul, I want you to open blind eyes. Right there in verse 18, to open their eyes. Now, why do people's eyes need to be opened? Because they are spiritually blinded, they're living in darkness. Listen to how Jesus described darkness, John three nineteen through twenty. Jesus says, "This is the judgment: the light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light." does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. So people, whether they're in India or whether they're out here in northeastern Colorado, if they're without Jesus, they're living in darkness. They're blinded to the light. They're, they're embroiled in darkness. And so Jesus says to Paul, go open their eyes. Okay, the second thing that Jesus charges Paul to do is to turn sinners from darkness to light. Verse 18, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. Now that word turn is very important. It involves repentance, to turn from something, to turn from the darkness, to turn from the sin, and to turn and embrace Christ as Lord. There must be a hatred of sin. Listen to what Peter says about this whole darkness into light. 1 Peter 2.9, he says to us, you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we are those who've been called out of darkness into light, and that's what Paul's charged to go do. Take these people out of darkness into light. And that involves repentance, turning. And repentance involves more than just, than just being sorry for your sin. You see, repentance involves the mind, it involves the heart, and it involves the will. The mind in repentance means that you come to the conclusion through the scriptures and through the, the work of the Holy Spirit in your, in your intellect, in your mind, that what you're doing is sinful to God. You, you've got the Bible confronting your mind, and, and you change your mind, and you're confronted with the fact that what I'm doing is sinful to God. So it involves the mind, but it also involves the heart. You begin to feel the weight of your sin. You begin to grieve over that sin. You begin to hate that sin, but then it involves the will. You actually have to make the the conscious determination to turn from that sin to abandon that sin. Third thing that Jesus tells Paul to do, I want you to open their eyes, Paul, number one. Number two, I want you to turn them from darkness to light. And number three, I want you to turn them from the power of Satan to God. From the dominion of Satan to God. Paul says this in Colossians 1, 13-14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Again, this involves repentance. Listen to Martin Lloyd-Jones. The best definition of repentance I've ever come across. Here's Dr. Lloyd-Jones, the pastor of Westminster Chapel. Died in 1981, probably one of the greatest preachers of the the 20th century during the 1900s. Here's what he said. Martin Lloyd-Jones, repentance means that you realize that you are guilty, you're a guilty, vile sinner in the presence of God, that you deserve the wrath and punishment of God, that you're hellbound. It means that you begin to realize that this thing called sin is in you. That you long to get rid of it. That you turn your back on it in every shape and form. You renounce the world, whatever the cost. You denounce yourself. You take up your cross. You go after Christ. Your friends and your family and the whole world may call you a fool and you may have to suffer financially, but it makes no difference. That is repentance. And repentance is not just a one-time act. It's an ongoing thing. Christians are called to live a life of ongoing repentance. We're always turning from our sin. We're always trusting in Christ. And what's the promise? Jesus says to Paul, open their eyes, turn them from darkness to light, turn them from the power of Satan to God, and here's the promise, that that they may receive forgiveness of sins. we talked about this all along in the book of Acts. What's the promise for all who would believe in Jesus? Their sins will be forgiven. Your sins, past, present, and future will be forgiven. And number two, a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Have a home in heaven. You'll be in God's family. You'll be adopted. You'll be washed. You'll be cleansed. You will have the promise of eternal life. So if you're here this morning and you are in darkness, you are blinded, the Bible says if you turn from that sin and you embrace Christ as Savior, all of your sins will be forgiven and you will have a home in heaven. Now, you look at that and you say, okay, Jesus, this is what you've told Paul to do. Now, that's a tall order for anybody. Can anybody stand up and say, I can do that? Can you turn somebody from darkness to light? Can you open blind eyes? Can you take someone out of the domain of Satan and bring them in the kingdom of light? As great as Paul was, he was the greatest apostle, he was the greatest missionary with his own cleverness and ingenuity and persuasive, could he even do that in any sinner? absolutely not can you and i do this work anybody here want to stand up and say i can take somebody out of satan bring him into the kingdom of light i can cause somebody's eyes to be open i can do this The, the weird thing about this is that we can't do it but jesus tells paul to go do it now we've got to ask the question is jesus setting paul up for failure and the answer is no Because here's the issue, here's the issue when it comes to conversion of sinners, whether you're a sinner here in northeastern Colorado or whether you're a sinner in India, here's the issue, the conversion of a sinner is a supernatural impossible task for you and me. We can't do it, but God can do it. And the amazing thing is that God uses us to do it. God uses you and me, foolish, clueless people, to open our mouths and share the gospel and something amazing happens. When we open our mouths and share the gospel, God comes in and he takes that gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit and God begins to open blind eyes and God begins to cause that repentance to happen and God takes them out of the domain of Satan into the kingdom of light and God does all the work and we get to sit back and say, thank you God for converting a sinner. I had no part in it. The only thing I did was open my mouth. Now I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians. Now keep these things in your mind. Darkness to light, open blind eyes, the dominion of Satan. I want you to see a parallel passage here in 2 Corinthians. So let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And Jesus gives Paul this impossible supernatural task that none of us could do. And we find the, the parallel passage here in 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 6. What is Paul and what are you and I charged to do? If we can't convert a sinner, if we, can't, if we can't open a blind eye, if we can't take somebody out of the domain of Satan, if we can't turn somebody from darkness to light, what can we do? Well, Paul gives the answer here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's pick up in verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. Paul says, And even if our gospel is veiled, is covered, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, who is that? That is satan the devil what has he done he's blinded blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from what seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of christ who is the image of god paul i want you to go open blind eyes but i can't do that because people are blinded by satan the god of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing so paul has a supernatural uh, impossible task before him what does paul do if the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, look at verse five. This is what Paul's called to do. This is what you and I do. This is simply our task. Everything else is God's. Here's ours. Verse five, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. What do we do? We just preach Jesus. You talk about Jesus, you lift up Jesus, you proclaim Jesus, you show them Jesus, you give them Jesus, you exalt Jesus, let Jesus come off your mouth, give them Jesus, that's what we're to do. And look what happens when we talk about Jesus, when we present Jesus, when we show them Jesus, when we exalt Jesus, look at verse 6, look at what God does. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness. What does that sound like? Genesis 1-1, right? In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. How did God create? He said, let there be light and there was. Now, if we're blinded and there's a darkness, God says something. God says, let there be light in a human soul and look what happens. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. So what do we do? We just go tell people about Jesus. What does God do? God opens blind eyes. God renews hearts. God takes hearts of flesh or hearts of stone and replaces them with hearts of flesh. God raises people who are dead in their sins to new life god causes them to be born again god takes them out of the domain of satan god takes them out of darkness and light god gets all the credit what do we do we just open our mouths and we tell them about jesus and look at verse seven we have this treasure in jars of clay what's the treasure there's a difference of opinion i believe the treasure is jesus but it's also the gospel of jesus we have this treasure in jars of clay meaning what We're foolish, weak, feeble, stumbling people that don't know what to say half the time. But guess what? When we open our mouths and show people Jesus, that's all we need to do. Tell people about Jesus. Look at this. But We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. If anybody's going to get saved, it's because God does it. And the amazing thing is he uses weak, feeble, clueless, stupid, shameful, whatever adjective you can think of, people like us, to just open our mouths and preach Jesus. We don't talk about ourselves. We preach Jesus. God comes in like in creation and says, there's a dark, blinded, captive heart to Satan. I'm gonna say, let there be light, and boom, there's light, and God liberates the heart of a sinner. Whether they're in India and a tribe or whether they're your next door neighbor, God does it. Now, let's think about missions for a moment because, you see, there's a difference between missions and evangelism. Evangelism is sharing the gospel with as many people as you can share, but missions is a little bit different. Missions has a greater task. Missions is about planning churches in people groups who've never heard the gospel and then churches being planted with qualified leaders who can disciple people so that that church can make an impact in an area. Do you realize that right now there are 1.6 billion people on planet Earth that have never heard the name of Jesus? That's one, what is it, like one-fifth of our planet? One, almost two billion people, and my math wasn't good, it's actually, it's actually worse than that, Somebody that's good at math like, Mickey, what is it? If, if, the, if the population's 7 billion and 1.6 people, 1.6 billion people, I'm putting you on the spot here, it doesn't matter. There's a lot of people out there, <laughs> billions of people out there that have never heard of Jesus. And so what we need, we need frontier missionaries. Now let me talk about frontier missionaries for just a moment because before I talk about frontier missionaries, let me talk about the fact that every single one of you are a missionary, Okay. Missionaries aren't those people that get in planes and go over and live in foreign countries. You, If you're a Christian, you are a missionary. It's just how it happens that you're the missionary where God has planted you. You may be a missionary at your campus. You may be a missionary at your job. You may be a missionary in your neighborhood. You may be a missionary out on the farm. You may be a missionary. Wherever you are, God has called you to be a missionary to influence your sphere of influence. So wherever you go, wherever you're planted, wherever your life is now, you are a missionary to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ and to live as a missionary. But... There are those people that we would call a frontier missionary. There are those people that risk all, that go live their lives for frontier missions. Now what's a frontier missionary? I want you to turn to one other place. I know we're we're jumping all around the Bible, but go to Romans chapter 15. Two books back. Paul was a frontier missionary. Now, we've seen Paul in action as we've been looking at the book of Acts, okay? Just a little recap on Acts. Philippi, Thessalonica, Athens, Corinth. When I get back from India, we're going to look at how he planted churches in Ephesus. Paul's going all over the place preaching the gospel. But there's one place that Paul wants to go. Paul wants to go to Spain. Because Spain is the final frontier. Spain is an unreached people group. Spain is the place that's never heard about the gospel of Jesus. And if you look at a map of Europe, you know Spain is, let's do it this way, Spain is way down here. Here's Jerusalem way over here. He wants to go to, and my back's turning, this is really weird. But anyway, here's, picture Italy, okay? Here's Rome. Paul wants to stop off at Rome before he gets to Spain. And so he writes the letter of Romans as a missionary letter to the church in Rome as support saying, when I stop off at you guys, you guys aren't my destination. My destination is Spain. I'm just going to stop off at you guys to get some, some encouragement. But my real goal is to get to Spain because in Spain, they've never heard the gospel. And that's really where I want to go. So let's pick up in Romans 15 and we hear Paul's heartbeat. Let's look at verse 18. Romans 15:18. This is Paul's frontier missionary heartbeat. Verse 18. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, verse 20 is key here, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who've never been told of him will see, and those who've never heard of him will understand. This is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain." and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Paul is an amazing man here. What does he say? I've done everything God's told me to do. I've completed the task. I've done the job. There's no more room for me to do ministry. Everything that God has called me to do, I'm done. There's one place left. It's Spain. That's where I'm going. Now, how can Paul say, I've done everything? Does it mean that every single person in those areas heard the gospel No. Does it mean Paul witnessed to every single person? No. What it means is, as a missionary, Paul planted churches. And once those churches were planted, those people began sharing the gospel in those geographic areas. So Paul can say, I've planted churches. I've done what God's called me to do. There's the final frontier. It's Spain. That's where I want to go. And I want to stop off at you guys, Rome, to get some encouragement before I go. So what is frontier missions? Paul defines it for us there. He defines it for us there in verse 20. To go where Christ has not been named. That's an unreached people group. We've been praying for five years for this unreached people group. I'm not going to mention their name because this is out on the internet, but you guys know their name. I'm not going to mention our missionaries, but we've been praying for five years for this unreached people group. Talk about God's sovereignty. Five years ago, none of us had ever heard of this people group, and we started praying for them. And we had no idea where they were over in India. We just prayed that God would break through. God would send a missionary. God would get the gospel to them. God would get a Bible to them. And we had no idea what God would do. And then about two years later, we meet a missionary here in Colorado that just so happens to be from Yuma that's a missionary over there. And he says, I think I know who these people group are. Really? We've been praying for them for two years, and you know who they are? Yeah, as a matter of fact, let me get you in contact with this other missionary people. They're working directly in that area. Really? This can't be a coincidence, okay? And so last year we go... And we go into that people group. We go into those villages for the very first time. Some of us were the very first white people they've ever seen. We go into the villages. We're going back back again this year. The the, the ground has been plowed. There's people who are actually identified as Christians. There's actually people identified as pastors. And five years ago, we had no idea who these people were. And now we're going into these villages where the name of Christ has not been named, but but the seeds have been planted and the ground's been plowed and we're ready to go in. And so that's the goal of Frontier Missions is to go among people groups where Jesus has not been named can you conceive right now that there are 1.6 billion people in the world that have never heard of Jesus okay you guys can get on the internet you guys can go drive down to Bible Lighthouse you can turn on your TV you can turn on air air one or Caleb or whatever you listen to and you can hear the name of Jesus every single one of you in this room knows you have probably have a Bible if not two or three of them Every single one of you probably knows who Noah is. You probably know who Moses is. You know the Bible. There are people living in darkness that don't know who Jesus is, and they don't know about salvation. Does that blow your mind? And we get the privilege of going into these villages and saying, let us show you Jesus and let God open blind eyes. That's frontier missions. And you know what it's going to mean? It means going to places that are hostile. Why are there no Christians there? because they don't want Christians there. Muslim, Hindu nations that are very hostile to the gospel. One of the great encouragements I get there is from verse 21. Paul quotes Isaiah 25, 15. This has been my prayer as we're going on this trip. Staggering. Verse 21. As it is written, those who have never been told of him will see And those who've never heard will understand. You don't think we're going with the power of God and with great encouragement? There's a verse right there to hang your hat on. Those who've never been told will see. What will happen? The blinders will come off. Those who've never understood or never have heard, they'll understand. I'm going with the confidence that when we go into these villages and we show them Jesus, they will see and they will understand. So what's the role of Emmanuel Baptist Church in this? What's the ultimate goal of missions? What's the ultimate goal of missions? Well, let's go back just a moment and let's look at Romans fifteen eight through 12 and we'll see the goal of missions here. Here's the goal of missions. It's very simple. It's the goal of Emmanuel Baptist Church. It's the goal of your life as a Christian. This is the ultimate goal. Verse 8, chapter 15. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that's the Jewish people, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, in order that the Gentiles, who are the Gentiles? People like us, people that are from the nations, those that are non-Jews, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Okay, here's the goal of missions that all peoples everywhere would bring glory to God. Now look at how Paul's going to unfold this. Look at the words he uses. He's going to quote from all these Old Testament passages. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, and it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with this people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, In him will the Gentiles hope. What's the goal of missions? That the Gentiles, the people groups, all the nations will glorify, will extol, will worship the Most High God and give him praise and glory forever and ever. That's the goal. Okay? If that's the goal of missions, to see these people groups, to see these tribal people say, I'm not going to worship a Hindu God. I'm going to worship the most high God whose name is is the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who's the father of Jesus Christ. That's who I'm worshiping. I'm not going to worship a false God. I'm going to worship Jesus. If that's the goal, then what's your role as Emmanuel Baptist Church? What can you do? Six of us are going. By extension, 300 of you are going. Look at verse 32. This should be your prayer. Verse 32. This was Paul's desire when he came to Rome. He's on his way to Rome to get to Spain. So, what would the Roman church do to help him on his mission trip to Spain? Verse 32. So that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Be refreshed. Your job as Emmanuel Baptist Church is to be a source of joy and refreshment. Now you think, when I think of refreshments, I always think of like refreshments. What? Like Sprite, Dr. Pepper, you get refreshments at a concession stand. What does it mean to be, to be a source of refreshing? You, by extension, my go, my go, our goal as missionaries... Number one is to go and share the gospel of Jesus Christ in these villages, but we're also going with the goal to encourage and support and come alongside and love our missionary partners, to be a source of refreshment to them. So how can you do that? Well, you can be praying. Are you praying that you would be a source of refreshing? Are you giving to missions? Are you assisting on short-term mission trips? On the back of your bulletin is a prayer guide. Everybody pull that. I think it's on a green sheet I'm not good with colors, but I think it's green. That's what they tell me. I know Kermit the Frog scenes, it's not easy being green. And um, I had no idea where that came from, but it's a green sheet. That's your prayer guide. It lists our itinerary it lists who's going, it's got who, what we're doing on what days, it's got specific things to be praying for, some of you are signing up out there on the Welcome Center table to be praying for our blocks, some of you are praying at different times, the church will be open for you to come in here and pray, Wednesday night at 6 30 there's a special prayer meeting, we are a church that's series about prayer, and we're not just going to talk about praying, we're going to pray, and so um, this is weird, if you guys get um, Twitter or Facebook updates each, each day, And you're like, how is Sean sending Facebook updates when he's in the middle of a village? Well, I have HootSuite. HootSuite allows you to put all your social media in something and schedule it to come out. So I've already scheduled encouraging prayers and scriptures each day that we're gone. So don't be freaked out by saying, where's Sean? Because I think think Joycelyn said, I don't know where Sean's going to be if he's sending these things. I've already set them up. They're going to come out every day. There's going to be scriptures and things to be praying for because I want you guys to be praying while we're gone and so missions missions is all about being a source of refreshment now what is missions it's not just evangelism yeah we want evangelism but we want to plant healthy vibrant godly churches among these people groups with solid biblical leadership that can go and disciple and share the gospel with others in that indigenous area what's the end result of missions if that's the goal to see everybody worshiping God go back to verse 18 what's the goal This should be the goal of your life, the goal of missions, the goal of evangelism, anytime we go share the gospel. Verse 18. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to what? What's the word there? Obedience by word and deed. We are not just going to get quick decisions for Jesus so that we can come back and say, 8,000 people got saved. True discipleship is people who have been transformed by the gospel, but prove it out by being obedient to Jesus in word and deed. What does the Great Commission say? Have you read the Great Commission carefully? Let's read it together. It'll be on your screen. Not together out loud, but together. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, Okay, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Did I quote it correctly? Teaching them what? teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded them. So what is discipleship? It is teaching people to be obedient in word and deed to all the teachings of Jesus. It's not just getting quick decisions. It's about the obedience of faith that comes by word and deed. And that's a hard task. We can't just go in there for six days and think that's going to be accomplished. We're 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 sowing the seed and and watering the ground, but our missionaries are going to come back behind us and, and do a lot of discipleship. But ultimately, this would be a fool's errand if we left out one key component. Because it's overwhelming when you think about going 20 hours on an airplane, then getting into India and getting on another airplane, and then going to get on a train to go three miles up to a mountain village, and then going out to places that you've never seen before, and going into these places with an interpreter, and opening your Bible and saying, Hey, by the way, you guys are worshiping a Hindu gods and you're animus. Let me tell you about this guy named Jesus, and think that anything's going to happen because a white guy or white people show up in a village. It would be a fool's errand if we forgot one crucial component in this is where I want us to leave this morning look at verse look at verse 19 who's the power by the power of signs and wonders by the power of the spirit of God if we leave out the Holy Spirit we are sunk we go in the power of the sovereign Holy Spirit who alone can do the work that he's called us to do We walk into a village, we talk about Jesus. I'm not that persuasive. I'm not that creative. I can't even speak English well, lest have a translator get it into the right language. And so when our team walks into a village and we love on children and we play with children, and and, and women talk with women, and men talk with men, and we go repair wells, and we go build churches, and we do all this interactivity. We're just human beings going and telling about Jesus, but we've got to believe that the power of the Holy Spirit is present to do only what the Holy Spirit can do because we believe there's inherent power in the gospel. Do you believe there's inherent power in the gospel that when we go and tell people about Jesus, God shows up? Does that mean everybody's going to get saved every time? No. But it does mean if anybody's going to get saved, it's because God has opened blind eyes. God has turned them from darkness to life. God has rescued them from the domain of Satan and brought them into his kingdom. So, we need your prayers. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to trust that only God can do this. And the amazing thing is, whether you're in India or whether you're here, what does God do? He chooses to use people like us. So don't be afraid of the gospel. You know what Charles Spurgeon said about the gospel? He said it's like a caged lion just waiting to get out. All you got to do is just open the door. All you got to do is just open your mouth. Tell people about Jesus and that caged lion, i.e. the Holy Spirit, is going to come in power and do what only the Holy Spirit can do. Let the gospel out. Let the power out. Open your mouth and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether it's a tribal person in India worshiping a million false gods or whether it's your neighbor, your friend, your coworker, or a family member, everyone that's living in darkness is living in the same type of darkness. It may just be manifested in a different way. Everybody needs Jesus, but the power comes when you open your mouth and share Jesus. God does the impossible. The gospel's the same. The response is the same, and praise God. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever what I'm going to ask you to do is not to bow your heads, but I'm going to ask you to pray for our, our, our India mission team. So if our team, who all is going on our team, I, I, hopefully everybody's here this morning, if, if you guys can make your way down here to the front. And I would ask the, the elders of our church and others to come, and anybody that wants to come and surround us to be praying for us as a team. And I'm going to ask all of the elders fight over who's going to pray for us. That may not be a pretty sight. I may need to assign somebody to do that. And I know some are from the balcony, so they're coming. So, would you just come and surround our team? And um, Glenn, would you be willing to pray for our team? And um, we leave at we leave at three o'clock this afternoon from the church parking lot. We're going to have a send off. If you want to come again at two forty five, we're going to grab hands in the church parking lot and just pray over the team, but um, it's an extension of the entire church. Um, You guys are all involved in this, and we got a 20-hour plane ride ahead of us this afternoon, and I'm glad I preached, because hopefully I'll fall asleep on the plane. And uh, so, Glenn, would you just lead us in prayer as um, everybody surrounds us and and encourages us before we go?
0: Lord, we thank you for these folks that have opened their hearts to your leading, to um, spend time in a foreign land, to all the things that need to be done, such as the uh, preparing to make the flight, preparing for passports, visas, all that stuff, Lord. And, Lord, especially for opening their hearts to your leadership, that they could have the opportunity to spread your God, Your gospel, Lord. Lord, we pray for a success that's unbelievable there. Lord. Lord, that uh, not only would they encourage the existing missionaries that are there, but they would be encouraged themselves. And, Lord, they would see success and people's open hearts to listen to you, to accept you, as Lord and Savior, to be desirous of being forgiven of their sins. Lord, we just thank you that uh, that we as a church can back them up with prayer here. Lord, I pray that each of us will do that. We would be diligent in lifting up this team. Lord, we just pray now that uh, you would give them safe travels, um, keep them healthy, keep the sickness away. Lord, just help them be